They're fast. The flavor is always there, and they always treat you good. I like the the bolillo they use on the torta is really nice and tender, soft. You know, it's kind of easy. It has an easy bite to it. For over 140 years, street vendors hawking Mexican food have been a staple of life in Southern California. Horse-drawn tamale wagons turned into taco trucks, turned into pop-up tents. And eventually, hipsters caught on and these trends went national. But even as Southern California became famous worldwide for its street food scene, government officials have amped up their war on it. I'm Gustavo Ariano. You're listening to The Times, daily news from the LA Times. It's Thursday, January 20th, 2022. Today, we get into this carne asada conundrum. In a time where Mexican food is more popular than ever, why are tacos still considered a crime? And what do the vendors themselves have to say? I've been eating from taco trucks my entire life. Man, I'm so old, I still remember when you could buy four tacos for a buck off Olympic Boulevard in East LA and get free horchata with it. It wasn't until I became a reporter, though, that I realized there was a stigma attached to them. Haters gave them names like roach coaches and city councils across the U.S. passed laws against Mexican street food vendors through the 1980s and 1990s. And then all of a sudden, during the Great Recession, once non-Mexicans got into this scene, municipalities started to loosen their rules. Now they're starting to regulate again, and they're coming down even harder than ever before. My colleague Gabriel San Roman recently wrote about what's happening in our hometown of Anaheim. He covers Orange County everything for Times OC. Gabriel, what's up, man? Thanks for having me on again on the podcast. So we both grew up in big, bad Anna crime, and the sad reality was that our taco scene was whatever. People would ask me where to go, and I'd always say, go to Santana, which is a very Mexican city just down the five freeway. But then like a couple of years ago, my brother and brother-in-law were like, hey, Gus, that's what they call me. Uh, Gus, you got to check out the taco scene now. It's legit. So what is the scene like now in Anaheim? In recent years, we've seen some good taquerias come up in the city. The working class is basically fed through Taqueria Los Hueros, you can feed a family of four for under 20 bucks. In pre-pandemic, it was always packed uh, to the brim uh, with taco lovers there in Anaheim. One taqueria that I wrote about is Tacos Los Cholos. Interestingly enough, it began as a pop-up, one that was harassed by code enforcement over six months of its pop-up existence, but now has a location in Anaheim that is very popular, a huge patio that's always packed with people eating tacos. And then LA Taco wrote about another taqueria called Taqueria El Poblano, which brings uh, Tijuana-style tacos to Anaheim. So the brick and mortar game is elevated in comparison to the past. But then again, what you've seen, especially since this summer, is pop-up tents. When you're driving down a main street in the city, you'll see the bright lights hanging from a tent, really. And then you'll see the, the billowing smoke coming from a carrito where taqueros are grilling carne asada, uh, chicken, al pastor, anything that will definitely make people want to pull off to the side of the road, park it up and have some unpermitted 
sidewalk tacos. And this is something that we didn't grow up with in Anaheim. It was always brick and mortars. All of a sudden, you're seeing these tents, you're seeing trucks where they were never there before. Absolutely. And as you and I both know, we didn't see it in Anaheim, the city that we grew up in, for a very specific reason. Since the 80s, the city has had a very heavy hand in regulating street vending. Paleteros, people that push carts selling ice cream in the parks, were subject to having their, their carts confiscated because that was unallowed or that was disallowed by the uh, city ordinance that was passed. What you had was a tug of war between sidewalk vendors, whether they be trucks selling groceries, parked in a neighborhood, lunch trucks, or the elotero or the paletero. It hasn't been easy to be a sidewalk vendor in Anaheim for decades. And really what, what we saw change the whole dynamic was in 2018, then governor of California, Jerry Brown, signed into law the Safe Sidewalk Vending Act, which decriminalized street vending. Across the entire state, which basically doesn't allow municipalities to criminalize street vending. So what the city of Anaheim is now doing, it's a new type of crackdown. This past October, it teamed up with county health authorities on a pilot program that makes it a lot easier and quicker for authorities to confiscate the vendor's equipment. Yeah, I've spoken to taqueros who have had their cables, their mobile generators, their tables and stands, everything confiscated in an effort to discourage them from setting up and serving what people on the scene will always describe as great tacos. Like the pop-up scene is elevating Anaheim's uh, taco reputation. Eaters see it that way. The city and the county do not. What did the city tell you about its reasoning for cracking down now more than ever on these vendors? The appearance of pop-up vendors from, you know, fruteros to taqueros basically has led to a lot of complaints. Since the pilot program between the county and the city started in October, the city reported 220 some odd complaints. Some of them are comical. Some of them are obviously exaggerated with tales of a meat with, with a locust of flies swarming around it and dangerous flames skyrocketing into the sky and whatnot. And complaints about Anaheim starting to look like Compton and East L.A., whatever the hell that means. Absolutely. That's been there multiple times. You know, we want to keep the city safe and clean and not have street vendors on every corner, which sounds really familiar to what we heard during the 2016 election campaign. More officially, the county has authority to impound property because sidewalk vendors do not generally have a permit to sell food. And so there's safety regulations about hand wash station, refrigeration of meats, etc. that they admittedly do not have. And so the county has the authority to continue to impound taqueros who are popping up on a sidewalk. The city, on the other hand, has told me in my reporting that, you know, they have complaints about a taquero tapping into electricity from a nearby building or people that patron the businesses leaving trash and, and bushes and whatnot, grease being poured down into storm drains. And then businesses themselves, restaurants themselves are sometimes among those filing complaints to code enforcement in the city claiming that the taqueros are undercutting them by selling tacos for cheap while they have a brick and mortar store and they have to pay rent, labor costs and permitting costs. And it's just unfair 
business practices in play. I haven't seen a situation where a pop-up taco tent sets up right in front of a taqueria. It's, it's never so brazen. <laughs> Not only that, though, but I have to like butt in as a guy who wrote the book about the history of Mexican food in the United States. People want different experiences with tacos. If you want your high-end taco, people go to the high-end taco places. If people want the two tacos for a buck and free pineapple juice, they'll go to that. Although now it's just like one taco for a buck or a buck 50 even. Sure. And speaking to a taquero on the pop-up scene, he told me that they basically have to blend in their prices because they don't want to sell their tacos too expensive or they don't want to sell them too cheap. You know, it has to be taken into context that the price of meat, as we all know, as we go to the grocery store, has risen. So I think the the myth of the $1 taco is, is a little too much and doesn't really match the reality on the streets, at least as I had visited a number of these spots and eaten at a number of these spots. Those were the days, man. Four tacos for a buck. Just I'll leave it at that. We'll have more after this break. Welcome back. Gabriel, the food vendors that you talked to, what did they say about both why they're selling on the street? In other words, why not get a brick and mortar and their thoughts about getting targeted by the city of Anaheim? I asked if it was good money that they make on the streets, but it isn't like they're making money hand over fist. They're making some decent money and it's better than the jobs that they were working to sustain themselves during the pandemic. Basically, it's worth the hustle, risk and all. The taqueros say that the taco cart is inherently going to always be unpermitted because it isn't a taco trailer. It isn't a taco truck, a lonchera. And so they could go through the permitting process. They could put money into the, the process of, quote unquote, doing things the right way. But at the end of the day, when an inspector takes a look at a propane tank powered grill on a street without access to a hand washing station and refrigeration that a brick and mortar restaurant would have in its kitchen, that it's not going to be permitted. The city provided the information that they have half a dozen flower vendors that are permitted through the official channels, but they have zero, zero street vendors of uh, food vendors on the sidewalk. Uh, who have proper permits and are not subject to the pilot program. The only way that you're going to get around it and, and not be harassed and by enforcement and by this pilot program is if you have a taco trailer with a county health permit or a taco truck. That's the only way. And those do exist on the scene too as well. And they're in a bit of a protective bubble. You know, what prevents people from going directly to that route is that they sell tacos together on the tent scene. Um, you know, people may not have a, a good idea of what a trailer or a truck costs, but it's upwards of over $100,000 if you really want to get a lonchera with all the proper permitting. And to make that kind of a leap right off the bat as a business person, as, a, as an entrepreneur, it's hard. And so what do they do to get there? They sell tacos on a pop-up and then they get their property confiscated. And then it's like a big game of whack a taquero. Like I said at the start, it's evolution. I mean, one of the most famous food companies to come out of Anaheim was Carl's Jr. and Carl Carter, the owner, the founder. He started with a hot dog cart in South Los Angeles back in the day. Eventually, he slowly evolved up and now has created an empire that still stands today. But to me, what's really interesting, you know, you're having this crackdown right now on street vendors at a time where the street food scene has once again become Mexican. Absolutely. A decade ago, when it was happening in Anaheim, there was a lot of 
they would call themselves high-end food trucks and it was more diverse audience in terms of the vendors and it wasn't completely purely Mexican and the city officials mostly looked away. Yeah, absolutely. I think that obviously some of the complaints that I've reviewed through a public records request show some coded or not so coded racial politics in terms of the crackdown that we're seeing now. Again, with comments about not wanting to look like either Compton or East LA or even in one complaint, Santana. And then you even have complaints about fruteros because they have fruit vendors. Yeah, fruit vendors selling fruit in cups. That somebody complained that that was unhealthy because of refrigeration. Not all of the complaints are articulated that way, um, but these kind of complaints aren't outliers either. They're pretty consistent and they're loud enough to get the city to put this pilot program into motion with the county, first of its kind in Orange County. What has been the response among Anaheim's growing Latino demographic? They were happy to see the taco pop-up scene happen in the city. Tents draw dozens of people in a line throughout the night. Uh, they usually set up from 6 to about midnight or close to. And it's a hit. It's a hit with residents, with, with a lot of Latino residents. They like seeing it because, as we've critically said, there was a, a bit of a lack in Anaheim's taco scene. And these folks are actually, you know, providing some good competition and it should be more about flavor than anything else. But unfortunately, since the pilot program, there has been a disappearance of taqueros. Finally, are these food vendors preparing to fight? I know in the past they've filed lawsuits against municipalities or just told the public, hey, like, you know, save the homies, uh, show up, let's go eat some food and screw the city. It's a good question. I think that there isn't a lot of kind of organization, whereas in the past you had attorneys representing almost like a union or at least an association of street vendors in Anaheim through the late 80s and 90s. And what were the effects of that? It was at least organized and a pushback. And they, they fought for more stationary time, which was strictly limited for truck vendors to 15 minutes in the late 90s, if you can believe that. But before that, they were banned from apartment areas, which was their most lucrative place to set up. But what the organized voice looks like, it's not there yet. Essentially, what we're seeing is people learning of the pilot program, being on the receiving end of it, and not having the information that Taquero that I spoke to had his equip almost all of his equipment impounded by the county. And he told me, you know, basically fatalistically, he wasn't going to get it back. And it tallied probably close to $9,000 in losses. But when I followed up with the county, the county said that as part of the impounding process, vendors can get their equipment back within 30 days after a hearing where they're basically lectured about health permits and the right way to do things. So a lot of it's just learning about the pilot program, which hadn't been reported on or made publicly known until my article. And so the taqueros are really kind of confused about it right now. Gabriel, thank you so much for this conversation. and See you at some good tacos soon. Absolutely. Can't wait. Coming up next, on a stretch of East LA's iconic Whittier Boulevard, there was once a bunch of taco trucks and now they're gone.
To be a legal street vendor anywhere, it's expensive. And Gabriel talked a little bit about that. You're subject to health codes. You've got to pay taxes. And even if you do it right, the government is just hard on you. In LA County, for instance, the only county approved tamale cart costs more than $7,000. $7,000. That's way too expensive for most folks. So many people just sell on the down low and hope for the best. Even brick and mortar restaurants, though, they're going to have a street food component because the concept is so popular. I mean, take Pirreria Gonzalez in East LA. It's a spot that I go to before I hit up Dodgers games. And they're famous for their birria that is. It's a type of beef stew that's a little bit spicy, really juicy. Put it on tacos. Oh. Just incredible. And Birria de Res has been hella popular for the past five years in Southern California, and it's now a nationwide thing. Birria Gonzalez also has a taco truck nearby on Whittier Boulevard, the legendary cruising street of the neighborhood. And it was a place where a bunch of taco trucks had parked on that street for years. But then in December, L.A. County workers painted that part of Whittier Boulevard, the curb red, so the trucks couldn't park there anymore. Public protests fixed that quick, though. But the move showed again that how precarious the street food vendor existence is in California. Times producer Angel Carreras went down to talk to the owners of Birreria Gonzalez about all of this, and here's his dispatch. It's a Friday afternoon on what's usually a bustling Whittier Boulevard. It's still bustly, but not quite bustling as it usually is. I'll get to that in a minute. But uh, first, Birreria Gonzalez. It's the busiest food truck here on a row of food trucks in front of the Commerce Center. I'll let one of the customers tell you why this food truck is just so busy. The, the birria is really good. It's, it has a really great flavor. Um, the quesa tacos are extra bomb. So, yeah, I recommend it highly. The Birria Gonzalez truck was forced to move back in December as part of a plan from Supervisor Hilda Solis's office to make sure emergency vehicles could bolt through Whittier Boulevard unimpeded. We didn't know what was going on. We've never got a notice, nothing. We just showed up and they called us, hey man, like they, they're gonna tow your van. Uh, they painted the whole curve red. We never got any heads up or anything. That is Frankie Tinoco. He's the face of the Birria Gonzalez food trucks. And before we get to the red curbs and how that impacted their business, uh, a bit more about Frankie and the trucks' rise. You see, Frankie, he's, he's kind of a natural born carnival barker for the business. He talks about the Birria tacos like they're the closest to heaven you could possibly get. It's an old recipe. You know, these guys made their twist on it, and man, I don't know, it's just that slow cook for four or five hours, man, it, it, it's, it's, it's fire. <laughs> you know, <laughs> They're, it's really good. Frankie says their birria, plus, you know, Instagram, food trucks' is increasing popularity, and their dedicated community helped blow this business up, especially in Whittier. It's the heart of the community, and you're very, very heavy here with the Latino community, and, and I think that's what made it real strong. And then Sunday nights with our lowrider culture, man, out here, it's beautiful, man. And I think all that brings it together. Good food, good crews, and good community, and, and, and it just strives for everybody, you know? Hours-long lines became the norm at the Birria Gonzalez food truck on Whittier, and so did visits from the local health inspector. You know, the inspectors started coming more, more often. You know, so, you know, people were calling them. We were expecting maybe the shopping center, you know, the, the business is not happy because, you know, we were selling out here on the street. But, you know, after that, I think once they saw the busyness about it, that's when, you know, we started getting those calls from the inspector coming in on a, on a daily, almost like frequently, very frequently. 
One of the main complaints was, you know, having a bunch of people, all these people lined up and no bathroom. It's it's a problem Frankie says they solved when Birria opened a brick and mortar spot right behind the truck on Whittier Boulevard. But those complaints and visits from the health inspector, those were all just an annoying bump on the road for Frankie and his crew. You know, until that curb was painted red. That's when the truck had to move to a new location. That new spot was just right across the street, a stone's throw away. But Frankie says even that small move had caused a huge drop in business. This is something that I'm learning. If you move half a block or a block up, people will not see you, bro. Uh, it wasn't the same as before, so people sometimes don't even see us. They'll call us, they'll send us messages like, hey, where you guys at? Like, oh, we're right here. With that move we made, I mean, those that week we were, we were on the other side, man, the next day our sales dropped about 80%. Easy. Easy, easy, easy. These my the workers started getting scared. Like, hey, what's going to happen? You know, it's the holidays. You know, Christmas was around the corner. So, then the second day, same weekend showed up. It's the same. Like we were, we were very concerned because people didn't want to cross the street. You know, and there was no parking on that side. So, you know, it was it was kind of scary, man. Yeah, scary. Until those Birria fans came through, community members flooded Supervisor Hilda Solis's office with complaints. Man, everybody spoke up. A lot of people spoke up. I heard there was emails sent, letters sent, signatures gathering up, calls were made, you know? It was, it was, it was really good. It felt real good that we have the, the support of the community, you know? So Lisa's office told a reporter at LA Taco a few weeks ago that, quote, given the lack of community outreach from county departments to local food truck vendors, and basically what happened was, you know, never mind that emergency vehicle program that got the curb painted red in the first place, Everything's back to normal. It's reset. That curb, it's gray again. That truck, back on the block at its original home. It's a little slow, man. It's a little slow. And, and that little move that we made, yeah, it, we're down about 40% easy, you know. But, you know, hopefully we'll get back up there. And that's it for this episode of The Times, daily news from the LA Times. Tomorrow, from using her spare time to play Pokemon Go to volunteering in a migrant camp instead, how and why one Afro-Latina went from a cushy suburban mom to an activist at the U.S.-Mexico border. Our show is produced by Shannon Lynn, Denise Guerra, Kasha Brasalian, Melissa Kaplan, Ashley Brown, and Angel Carreras. Our engineer is Mario Diaz. Our editor is Lauren Rabb and Kinsley Moreland. Our executive producers are Hasmin Aguilera and Shawnee Hilton. And our theme music is by Andrew Epen. Like what you're listening to? Then make sure to follow The Times on whatever platform you use. Don't make us to put you podcasts. I'm Gustavo Ariano. We'll be back tomorrow with all the news and desmadre. Gracias. <laughs>